Welcome, everybody, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're coming to you off a bagel game, right? The bagel game, I will call it, because the Giants, they got shut out 17 to nothing by the Tennessee Titans, right? We don't really don't want to get over this too much and get into the details, right? We all saw what happened. They stunk. Their offense was an abomination. Eli Manning had a really, really rough game. And the Giants effectively were eliminated from the playoff, officially eliminated from the playoffs. So uh, all that pretend talk about how they're in it, uh, we could throw it out the window now. And I was pretty adamant about how I wasn't going to talk much about it because in regards to the playoffs because ESPN Analytics had it at – you know, their FBI with their projections had it at less than 1% probability of it happening, right? So that's a 99.4% chance it was that they weren't going to make the playoffs. Now, if they had beaten the Titans in this week's game, and it was two weeks remaining, and they needed, and then they got some help along the way, and the Vikings had lost or whatever, I would have talked about it a little bit, okay? Then it would have been a realistic scenario, somewhat. A little bit more realistic, at least. Still a long shot, but somewhat realistic. But as we rehash this season, okay, I think it's important to realize that this team, and I don't want to hear anything otherwise, that this team never was seriously in playoff contention. They started one and seven. They won some games against bad teams, never in playoff contention. This is important because you don't want this team, the, the, the front office, the coaches, they can't go down the road and say, you know what? We got better. We were we were a playoff caliber team in the second half of the season, blah, 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 this and that. No. You need them to be realistic with where this organization is. And where it is right now is it's not in a great spot. Are they in a better spot than last year? Yes, they are. They went 3-13 and last year. But they played last year without Odell Beckham, who missed most of the season, and Saquon Barkley, who wasn't on the team. So you better be a better team. When you have those two guys, right? If you're not, something's majorly wrong. They're not exponentially better. They're barely better. They're going to go from what? Three and 13 to let's say you split the final two and go six and 10. That's not a huge leap in today's NFL, especially when you're adding Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley. Now, maybe they like the locker room better, the culture better. They've been talking a lot about this. I get it. But in regards to roster construction, talent from top to bottom it's they're going to need to be realistic they were outclassed on Sunday badly by a Tennessee Titans team right Odell Beckham did junior didn't play that quad injury something that's hampering him we'll see where that situation goes here along the way some interesting twists and turns that happened in the past week or so with Odell basically going on his Facebook show and describing some details of the injury a few days after Coach Pat Shermer stood at the podium and said, hopefully that whatever he said at the podium was the last you were going to hear about it. Because uh, he basically said he instructs his players not to say anything to the media and the public and the fans about what's wrong with them, which kind of leaves Odell then hanging out to dry. And the question I was getting from friends and people the few days going into it, especially after he was ruled out on Friday, was, is he really hurt? And, you know, the players left there looking like a dope dangling in the air, people doubting whether he's really hurt or not because, you know, the coach and the team aren't willing to basically say he had a setback. So I don't think that's an ideal situation. We'll see how that plays out going forward. 
that relationship is something to be we're gonna have to keep our eyes on. But in the meantime, the debate right now that's out there is the Eli Manning debate, right? Okay. We see where the Giants are. They're five and nine. He played awfully the other day without Odell Beckham in the lineup. They couldn't run the ball, all the tension. And I thought this was an interesting comment by Nate Solder, right? And I asked him, I said, uh, are teams, you know, sort of dare, or maybe I didn't ask him. Someone else asked him. Maybe are teams daring you to pass now, or now, you know, with, 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 uh, Saquon having the success in recent weeks and the offense running through him? And he said, yeah. That's the approach that oh, every team's going to have. So, and then it was raining. Got to get to put that into the consideration, and then they dropped some passes. Beli played bad. Okay, so he plays bad in this game. Um, and now here we are. We sit at five and nine. He's going to be thirty-eight years old in a couple weeks, and he's not faring particularly well this season. I mean, I don't care. You, you know, people are sit there and they're going to rip off some of the stats. And I've said this many times. Okay, you know, you could sit there. and and cherry pick stats. To me, the most important stats for a quarterback, okay, and it begins and ends with this for me, right? You could do everything else is sort of supporting evidence. The most important thing to me is touchdowns produced, that's passing and running, compared to turnovers, that's interceptions and fumbles. Most important thing for a quarterback. How many, right? Because the point of the game is to score points, and quarterback plays a huge part in that. And then on the flip side, if you turn it over, you're helping the other team score points a lot of times and you're keeping your team from scoring points. So to me, those are the two most important things. Passing yards is nice, but not a real, always an, a fully accurate indicator. You can pick up a lot of yards at the end of games. You can move the ball up and down the field, but not get it into the end zone. Uh, quarterback rating, terrible stat. I mean, it's based a lot off yards and completion percentage. Completion percentage, too, you could dump the ball down all day. Not always the best stat. Uh, every quarterback, any decent quarterback nowadays has a good completion percentage. Uh, and the way the game is played, it's rising and rising and rising every year, completion percentages. And just to show you how that can be a misleading stat, the NFL record holder for completion percentage in a season, I believe, is Sam Bradford two years ago under Pat Shermer. Okay. That didn't mean he had a great year. Just mean he did a lot of checkdowns. So that's another stat. Touchdowns produced compared to turnovers. And now over the last 29 games, Eli Manning has 37 touchdowns produced. Actually, I didn't, I don't think I counted his rushing. I don't know. I don't think he has a rushing touchdown in the last two years. If he does, it's one. I'll check that in a second. Uh, 29, 20, 37 touchdown produced and 30 turnovers. In the last 29 games, he's started, which is the last two years, okay? That is just not going to get it done in today's NFL. As a, as a reference point, Patrick Mahomes has 45 touchdown passes this season alone in 14 games. And Eli has 37 in the past two years combined. And Actually, I'm not even factoring if Patrick Mahomes ran a couple in. He probably has a couple more. Actually, I'm just considering the ones he's thrown. So, look, yeah, Eli does not have a rushing touchdown. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. I'm looking at the wrong thing real quick. That was this year. Rushing. He had one touchdown last year. Okay. So make it 38 touchdowns produced compared to 30 turnovers. Now, in today's NFL, you, 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 at the bare minimum, you need that to be about two to one. Minimum. Three to one would be a nice number. Real nice number. Anything above that, you're just killing it, 
right? And uh, granted, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are absolutely killing that. But a guy like Russell Wilson, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who is he? Eli has 38 touchdowns in his past 29 games. Russell Wilson has what 31 this year alone in 14 games. He has 66. And that's not even including rushing. So he's at like 70, almost double the amount of Eli Manning in the past two seasons. And it's not like Russell Wilson's playing with this great team around him. Okay? His his offensive line is really bad too. Has been for a while. Okay? But he's still producing touchdowns. And that is the key because you need to score points. He has 65 touchdown passes and then three rushing. Okay, so that is 68 total touchdowns, which, by the way, Eli, so he has 68 total touchdowns in the last two seasons he's produced. Eli has produced 63 in the last three seasons combined. I mean, so that's how far off he is. I mean, Russell Wilson has, let's see how many turnovers he's had. Uh, so 17 and then fumbles loss of five, so 22. So he has 68 touchdowns and 22 turnovers in the last two years. A very solid, pretty much three to one. Like I said, three to one. Excellent. And Eli is six, uh, 38 to 30 touchdowns to turnovers. Nowhere near good enough. Okay. Forget all the other stats. That's what matters. How much, how often do you get your team? into the end zone and score points in a league where scoring points has become easier. But it hasn't for the Giants. And that's been a problem. It has been a big problem. Now, they have other problems, right? They couldn't run the ball the other day, but they do have Saquon Barkley. They do have Odell Beckham Jr. Those are two of the best playmakers in the league. It's not like he's working with no one. Evan Ingram, we saw the other day what he could bring to the table. And by the way, let me say this about Evan Ingram. This is like my one positive I'm going to give you from that game. Is that I thought Evan Ingram, for the first time in a while, looked like his old self. Looked like what we thought he was going to be after watching Evan Ingram play last year. He looked unguardable. Getting immediate separation against safeties, linebackers, whoever tried to cover him. Eight catches for 75 yards, a 22-yarder, some run after the catch. Just just looked fast and explosive. He's had an injury-filled year. So we haven't seen that much from him, but he is a weapon also. So you're adding that and Sterling Shepard, who had an awful game, really you know, dropped a pass or two, slipped and dropped one, uh, four uh, sorry, two catches on nine targets. I mean, just a disaster of a game for Sterling Shepard. Uh, he's still a good player. So you have him, Ingram, Barkley, and Beckham. And you shouldn't have a below-average offense, which is what the Giants have right now. And it's why they got shut out. And it's why there's been too many games this year where they just haven't been good offensively. And you can sit there and point to the offensive line, which, yes, the right side's still not good, but we're talking about one. Two, three, four, five, six losses with less than 20 points this year. Six losses with less than 20 points in today's NFL. Just can't have it. Just can't have it. 
And so I looked up. I said, okay. Because a lot of people say the defense is terrible. The defense is terrible. And I get it. Their defense is not good. Okay? They are ranked. Let me pull up the numbers here. But the defense, which, by the way, couldn't tackle Derrick Henry the other day, who went for 170 rushing yards, and we saw missed tackles left and right. The bottom line is, and the defense wasn't good the other day, but they kept the Giants in position to win that game. So I don't want to hear people complaining too much about this defense. Look at the talent level on that defense. They don't have a pass rush. They don't have an interior pass rusher. Right? I mean, B.J. Hill's okay. He's a rookie. He has promise, but... He's not a, a consistent interior pass rusher pushing the pocket. They don't have much on the outside, on the edge rushers. They don't have great cornerback depth. They lost Landon Collins. I mean, this is not a great, talented defense. So they're 21st in total defense, 20 seconds in points allowed. Below average in both categories. That's fine. Right? It's not good. I get it. But the offense is 20th in total offense and 20th in points scored. Okay, that's the biggest disappointment. And it again showed the other day against the Titans. That is where their inve- the Giants are invested. That's where their money is invested. That's where their draft pick, draft capital has been used. I mean, just look at their first round picks the last six years. Five out of six have been offense. And it's not like they're dud players. You're talking about Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham, Evan Ingram. Eric Flowers was a dud. Yes, Eli Apple didn't work out. That was the one defensive pick. But look, there that's the unit that needed to carry this team this year. Nobody was under the misconception, especially if you said we're going to trade Eli Apple and, and Damon Harrison, that this was going to be a dominant defense. The offense had to win for this team. This team was built to be decent because of its offense. And they haven't been. And they laid another dud the other day. And when you talk about the offense being a problem now for three years, you start with the quarterback. You start with the highest paid player. He's not helping to produce enough touchdowns. Can he make throws? Yes. He can make some plays. You know who else can make some plays? Case Keenum can make some plays. Brock Osweiler can make some plays. Can you do it at a consistent enough level to be successful in the NFL? The Giants are now going with their, what is it, six out of seven years without making the playoffs. Just not good enough. They're not getting enough from their quarterback. And that's why we're having Eli discussion, because he's 38 years old, and they don't really have a clear-cut plan for the future. And they got to get on that. they got to get on it this offseason. ASAP. They're on it right now. It's not an accident Dave Gettleman was out watching Justin Herbert scouting Will Greer of West Virginia. It's not an accident that those were the only games that he was spotted at. The Giants know the deal. They know Eli's nearing the end. They have to make that decision now when they're going to cut the court. Now, my opinion, and I wrote this last week heading into this game, they had that good stretch. It gave him some thoughts. Okay, you know, if he continues to play like this, you know, we're winning games, we can bring him back. We could play the way we've been playing. We could use Eli as a passenger and 
design our offense around Saquon Barkley. Do I think that's sustainable in the NFL to not operate your quarterback, uh, your offense around your quarterback? Probably not. But the options aren't going to be great, right, in this offseason. The, the immediately when we're talking about next year. So the, the Giants, in my opinion, if these last three games when the competition clearly increased, you got the Titans, who they just lost to, you have the Colts coming up this week, and you have the Dallas Cowboys in the final week of the season, top defenses, right? Top, I think they're all three top, they're, they're three top ten defenses. Three teams vying for playoff contention. If the Giants played well, if they had one, two out of three, I think they could have convinced themselves into, hey, yeah, Eli Manning's our best option next year. We can still win with him if we do what we did in the second half of the season. But there was always the possibility in these final three games, and they can't bring him back. That they say, look, we just can't go into another season and have optimism in our locker room, real optimism, deep optimism, like guys in the locker room really believing that they can compete or be a really good team with a quarterback that they struggled with for the last three years. So these last two games are still big in my mind. I still think that decision has yet to be made. It's up in the air about whether Eli Manning comes back. And I've talked to people in that front office, and they said, you know, it, it's been said for a while now. Is that, that that how he played in the second half of the season, late in the season, was going to be part of that decision-making process. And it was good for that five-week stretch, pretty good at least for the most part. He really struggled in the first half of that Bears game. But he had 10, intercept, uh, sorry, 10 touchdowns and two interceptions in that five-game stretch. Right? And that's what I was talking about before. Touchdowns produced compared to turnovers. For that little stretch, 5-1. to one, Got better protection. Played a bit better. Played some lesser competition. That was encouraging. But this wasn't. And the bigger scheme of things in general over the past few years hasn't been encouraging. So we'll see what happens in these last two games. I think it's going to go a long way in determining whether Eli Manning is back for the final year of his contract and the 2019 season. And with that, let's move on to the next one. All right, this is the time of the show where I open the forum to you, the listeners, to let you ask me your deepest, darkest, Giants question in my favorite segment entitled Giants After Dark. All right. We're going to do six questions this week. Start off with number one. At JD Gibb 10 says, out of these three options, which is most likely QB scenario for next season? Free agent signing, Teddy, Tyrod, etc. Draft, Haskins, Herbert, or stick with Eli Loletta for another year? Now, I don't think there's a definitive answer right now. So you're asking me what's most likely, okay? So each week, my, you know, as I said, I really do believe, and we were just talking about, I really do believe that this, what happens in the, the last latter part of this season will go a long way in determining that. So I think last week, going into last week, Eli had been playing well. Heading into that game, it was going to be about 60% him returning. 
Now, he laid an egg. Now we're back at about 50%. Heavily contingent on what happens here against the Colts and the Titans. But I also think the Giants are going to do... This is like a combination of your choices, right? The Giants are going to try to get a quarterback in the draft. Whether there's one that they like, in a spot that they can take him, or they can get him, whoever it is. And it's sounding like, you know, Justin Herbert is a decent shot. He stays in college. Dwayne Haskins, you know, people are high on him. It's out there. There's a lot of people, and I've talked to people in the scouting community, in the agent community, in NFL circles. And he's pretty well regarded at this point. He's really impressed people with his play on the field. We'll see how the rest of the process shakes out. But I think he's going to end up likely being the number one quarterback. Now, I don't know because I haven't really looked at them enough. I watched a couple of their games. But in my opinion, I, I, I do think Haskins has a really good shot to be QB1 in this draft. Now, if it were me, I think the best option would be signing Teddy. I've talked about this before. But what is the most likely QB scenario? I think right now the most likely QB scenario, if you put all the options on the table, is Eli being back with the drafted quarterback and Lawletta. Those three. I don't, I don't, we'll get to Lawletta in a minute, but I think that is the most likely scenario. You know, and then when you talk about, you know, signing Teddy and Tyrod, you know, each of those has a percentage, right? So one is 20, one's 30, and one's 10, one's 5. But just for the Eli and Loletta combo, it's about 50% in my mind. So, all right, question number two. Uh, we will do Dada Shark 112. And your question is, in managing your fantasy team, how often do you lean on guys you know in the fantasy industry, i.e. Adam Levitan, my buddy who works for DraftKings? Uh, and number two, when hosting a holiday party and deciding on your menu, how do you consider your guest preferences versus your own? So I'll start with the first one. Now, I was in a big fantasy matchup this week. My top league, I'm trying to win it. I really want to win. I've never won. So I've been leaning on the people I know in the fantasy industry more than ever. I, I think this week alone, I asked Adam Levitan, Evan Silva from Roto World. I asked Anita Marks from here at ESPN. Like, who should I start? My four options were, and I've, I've asked Matthew Berry throughout this year some stuff. My options this week were, okay, uh, Kenny Galladay, Corey Davis, Dante Pettis, and who was my fourth? Oh, Marlon Mack. And I had to pick two of the four. Okay, And everybody was basically telling me different people. But for the most part, everyone had Galladay in there, so I went with him. And then, you know, even these fantasy experts, you know, most of them were telling me Corey Davis. My gut was telling me Marlon Mack against the Cowboys. So I went with it even though they – I don't think any of them told me Marlon Mack. And I went with it. And you know what? Go look at what Marlon Mack did. Turned out to be the right choice. But so I do list – I do – I take their – look, nobody's right all the time. You just take all the information, and this is what my boy, but Adam Levitan always tells me. You take all the information, you put it together, and then you make your best informed decision. And to me, that's kind of what I do. So this year, more than ever, I am leaning on people. Number two, when hosting a holiday party and deciding on the menu, I will say this. I'm a pretty selfish person in general, but when you're talking about a menu 
with people coming to your house, you have to take them into consideration. You can't have people sitting there and not eating anything. Like you can't have like a sausage dip when no one there eats meat, right? They're all vegetarians and you put out a sausage dip. So you got to take into consideration your crowd when deciding on the menu. And my, me and my wife are two ends of the spectrum, right? She doesn't eat any red meat. And I love all that stuff. You know, steak and sausage are some of my favorite things to eat. So, you know, we, we kind of cover it all. You know, we, we cover the meat part and then she, you know, makes sure that there's salads and stuff that she likes and that, and that kind of stuff. So I think we, we cover this, the, the full spectrum of food, but you do, you have to put your guests prior preferences and priorities on the table when you're talking about a holiday menu at your house. Okay. So that's just, that's just the way it is. So, all right. Next is a question via email from Matt LaRoe. What do you make of the reports the Giants may not have Loletta in their plans for 2019? He was an active Sunday. Are the Giants really that down on him? Well, I don't know anyone who had a report that came from a person in the Giants organization that said he's not in their plans for 19 because I would be stunned if that's not the case at all. You don't draft a guy in the fourth round, have him play one quarter of a blowout, five snaps, and then say, you're not in our plans, you're gone. That would just be stupid. Okay, now will I rule that out? I mean, considering where this organization has gone over the last three years, I wouldn't say no, but I really doubt that's their plan right now when you're talking about Kyle Oletta. I mean, it's they made it pointfully clear, and this is from Coach Pat Shermer, that they don't think that Loletta's ready. He's from a football subdivision school. He doesn't have the greatest physical skill set. That he has a long way to go. And he's made that painfully obvious. But it doesn't mean, in my opinion, that they're 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 willing and ready to just give up on him already. I think people are jumping. They're jumping like five steps too far when it comes to Kyle Oletta in that regard. Okay, I think you need to slow down a little bit. They don't like him to play right now. They don't think he's ready now. Maybe they don't think he's ultimately going to be good, but I don't think that means they're willing to just throw it away, a draft pick, and say we completely give up on him already. Just don't see that. There's been some things that concern them, I think, at this point, but let's not let's not jump five steps too far after five passes. Okay, I mean, you want to go back and look at Eli Manning. He came from Ole Miss and has this great pedigree, and go look at some of his rookie games. I mean, I think there was a game against the Ravens that threw for thirty something yards. It's a learning curve in the NFL. Got to take your lumps. Next question. Question number four. K. Huvain on Instagram. Does the Titans, Titans running all over the Giants on Sunday prove how important and great of a player Landon Collins really is? Also, can you argue that a bigger need for the Giants this offseason is a pass rusher and not an offensive lineman? Yes, I think the Giants missed Landon Collins the other day. First part of your question, uh, though Michael Collins, uh, Michael Collins, Michael Thomas did fill in fairly admirably. Seven tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, a QB hit. So I don't think that was their biggest problem, even the least bit. I mean, he helps in those situations for sure, but I, I don't know. I'm still waffling back and forth of how much they missed him. But as far as the second part of the question, yeah. You 100% can argue the bigger need is as a pass rusher and not an offensive lineman. 
I mean, their pass rush at this point, especially on the interior, to me, that is where you got to watch and look out for. They need interior pass rush. I mean, the Aaron Donalds of the world. Uh, did you see Chris Jones from the, the Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, this guy's consistent. He has a sack in how many straight games? 12? I mean, it's just unbelievable some of the interior pressure that these guys are getting around the league, and the Giants just don't have much at all. They need edge rushers, absolutely. But if I were a betting man, and you talk to people in the Giants organization, you know that they are going to pound that defensive line because they need to improve that pass rush, and they know it all the way around. So absolutely, while the right side of the offensive line is still bad, especially at right tackle with Chad Wheeler, right guard still a problem, Jamon Brown not an especially good uh, pass blocker, you can easily make that argument that the Giants have a way bigger need at uh, a pa- pass rusher in general than offensive line. Uh, one more on Instagram. We got Peter F08. Not sure if you answered this already, but what is the realistic return if the Giants decide to trade Evan Ingram? Now remember, he was a first round pick. Now he had a rough season. He's had some injuries. So I don't think you could get that at this point for him. Maybe a third rounder, potentially a second. I haven't looked into this. So this is just me just, you know, spitting from the top of my head, but I'd say, Realistic, what you could probably get for him is a third. Maybe somebody looks at him and says we can get a second from him. But he's had some injuries. He's been banged up. And that's the problem with playing tight end at a smaller size in the NFL. Can you hold up? So that concern has only grown since he got drafted. He's coming off a bad year, a down year, an injury-filled year. So his, his value isn't at its highest. Right? Not at all. Because... He hasn't played well this year. I mean, he played well this week, but he hasn't in general played well. So, all right, last question. At Chris underscore Thomas 23. Haskins or Herbert for the Giants in this draft? Yeah, and I I, I touched on this before. We will see, but I think it's a distinct possibility the Giants will make a run at whatever quarterback they think is the number one guy in this draft. They have to. You can't leave the quarterback position... You know, in in flux. Like, that's the... If you want a recipe for being a failure of a franchise, that's how you do it. You leave your quarterback position in flux, and you say, oh, maybe we can hit something. Maybe we can hit a couple mid-round picks. They already took a third and a fourth the last two years. Maybe we can hit on a free agent, an older guy, a guy who hasn't yet flourished. That's the recipe for failing in the NFL. They want to go down that road... You know, you, next thing you know, Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. have a good chance of wasting away. They might not already know it. They're already in QB hell. They're already in it. Several years into the process. They don't do that draft quarterback this year. They'll be deeper in it. Because look, it takes a quarterback two years really to at least to break, you know, Carson Wentz, okay? Or Jared Goff and these guys. For the most, usually, it takes like a, a year or two for them to really get up and going. Okay, you, you take your lumps your rookie year usually. So if you don't get a quarterback this year and you do it next year, by the time that guy gets up and running, and then we're talking about 2021, right? I mean, Odell Beckham and, and Saquon Barkley have already wasted years of their career, prime years of their career. So yes, Haskins or Herbert, distinct possibility. As I said before, I'm hearing a lot of people and this is not specific to the Giants, but around the league, are really taken to Haskins. I don't have a preference at this point 
a huge preference. I mean, if I had to pick, I would say Haskins at this point. But because I, I just just because from what I've seen of Herbert, his accuracy concerns me a little bit. I'm a big believer in accuracy in the NFL. It is a big, big factor. So that to me a little bit bothers me. And so I would probably lean towards Haskins at this point. But uh, that is definitely open for interpretation as we go along here. And that's it for this segment of Giants After Dark. On to the next one. All right, let's get into Jordan on the beat from this week, right? This is the time where I take you into what it's like to be the Giants beat writer. And some of the challenges and awkward scenarios and all the stuff that comes along with the job. you got to think of some other questions, my goodness. And this week we're going to go over the latest with handling uh, sort of challenging situations and press conferences and uh, with coaches and general managers and players of, of the like. Okay, Because this week we have the moment where Pat Shermer, in his post-game press conference, had a little comment to say, threw in a little dig, right? Uh, as I was asking him a general question about how I th- how he thought Eli played and whether the rain factors into that evaluation. In the middle, he interrupts and says, uh, oh, I thought you were giving me the question and the answer. So a little dig, little dig there for sure. Uh, and I took the... The route of just smiling and uh, not firing back a one-liner or anything. And, you know, just went on and let him answer the question. And, you know, we move along. And there's a couple ways that, you know, different people have different approaches. But me, when I'm in these situations, and you can go look at the history. And, and this one again, when Eric Flowers pushed me uh, and how I handled that. And these are all sort of uh planned decisions, right? These are these are thoughtful decisions. This is a tactical decision. And including you know, in these kind of situations, and I've had a couple with Shermer already. He he passed some comments there in a press conference last week. The Loletta thing sure looked like uh it was aimed at me when he said, I hope you guys have seen what you wanted. He turned and looked at me. You know I take the approach in these kind of situations of not responding and letting it sit. Maybe you deal with it behind the scenes. You go up to him and you say, hey, you know, what's up with that? How are we doing with this? You know, what, what what was that all about? I haven't had that conversation with him yet, but I did with some people in the Giants organization. And to me, when you're in these kind of situations of people get upset, he's up there, they had just lost the game. I'm not going to get into a back and forth with him. I don't see how that serves me or anybody else, right? I don't see how that serves me professionally. So if you're a beat writer in my situation or in a situation like I was in, I think it's best to just sort of let it sit. They know you show that you're going to handle yourself professionally in these situations. You're not going to make any inappropriate comments or snide comments or, or, you know, try to challenge anybody publicly in a press conference situation and you just let it sit you know the other person in my opinion they're showing their true colors you just be professional okay you just sit back and if you want if you have a problem with it and you want to take care of it you take care of it on the side afterwards later on whatever it may be 
Because professionally, I think that's the best way to approach these things. Now, Jerry Reese, you know, challenged me in a press conference uh, a couple years ago. Same thing. You know, I didn't fire back. I didn't make any snide remarks to him. But he challenged me, and then I, I wrote something in response to what he said. Because to me, that's fair game. Right? That's an appropriate response and uh, what my job is and, you know, of what's said at the press conference. He said, yeah. Uh, you know, that basically I had made a comment, like I thought, you know, their mid to late round picks hadn't performed, uh, they hadn't gotten enough out of him. And he said, you know, where's your data to suggest that? So I went and I provided data in a story rather than just fire back a snide remark. Same thing here with Shermer. You know, you just say, okay, just let him make his comment. You know, thought you were, you know, there's no, there's no response to this in print or whatever. You just let it go away and try to handle these situations behind the scene. So I think when you're a beat writer or covering a team, to me, this is the best way to handle these things. You don't want to make it worse. I don't want to, I don't want to have a contentious relationship with Pat Shermer every day. I mean, we have to, I have to be there at press conferences of his and spend time with him and talk to him regularly and ho- and probably for multiple years. What good would it serve me to have a always contentious relationship? Try and smooth it over behind the scenes and move on. To me, that's the best route. And with that, we'll get to the close of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. And I'll give you my one not last, the second to last prediction of the year. Giants, Indianapolis Colts. Now, the opening line of this game, nine and a half points. I actually thought that was kind of big, right? I mean, I don't think the Giants are, they had one four to five going into that last game. They're not that bad. They played bad against the Titans. It was raining. I mean, you don't want to make excuses. They were bad. Offense was bad again. It's possible they're bad against Sunday, but I still think nine and a half points is actually a lot. Now I'm not going to go out and go go crazy here and pick the Giants to win the game. I still think they're going to lose, right? I'm still picking Colts 27, Giants seven. No, Giants 20. Colts 27, Giants 20. Okay. So we got a seven-point loss. The Colts, they can run the ball. They'll be able to pass the ball. I just don't see the Giants' defense being able to stop a pretty good offense that's humming lately at home, right? The Giants are not talented enough defensively, in my mind, to shut down a pretty good offense. Yes, they stopped some teams with bad quarterbacks along the way, some backup quarterbacks, those kind of things. But this is Andrew Luck. This is a Colts team that ran the ball on the Dallas Cowboys, that moved the ball on the Dallas Cowboys defense, which is way more talented and way better than the Giants. And I don't expect the Giants to get shut out again this week either. Expect them to play a little better. It's indoors. Conditions are better. Uh, Saquon Barkley is still always a threat. And there's a chance that Odell Beckham returns. This is Tuesday right now. Who knows? We'll see. You never know. There could be a surprise IR. Who knows? Right? Anything's possible. But it's also possible that he plays. Pat Shermer stood at the podium Monday, said he's hopeful. Who knows? I don't know if I would bank on that, but uh, right now, it's a possibility. Either way, it's not like the Giants have no weapons. It's not like they should get shut out by the Colts, although the Cowboys just did. But they played terribly, and Dak Prescott played terribly. 
So if Eli Manning goes in there and plays like he did last week, yeah, they can get shut out. But I just don't see it happening. I see them putting some points on the board, but the Colts still getting this win. And the Giants then trending in the direction towards not bringing Eli Manning back. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And remember to like this podcast, Breaking Big Blue, on iTunes. You can catch it on a podcatcher. You can catch it on Google. You can catch it on the ESPN app. So make sure you listen to the podcast and you put a give it a like and a reply and the comments. I'll take any comments. You can reach me anytime at email, Instagram, Facebook, uh, what am I missing? Twitter. So feel free to reach out to me anytime and I'll try and answer your questions in next week's episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.